Want a smoother contour and more youthful-looking cheeks? Rediscover a younger-looking you by adding volume to the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC, part of the number one selling collection of dermal fillers, based on January 2022 provider survey data. With help from Juvederm Voluma XC and a licensed specialist, you can achieve a more youthful cheek look completely customized for your goals. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Community is always worth celebrating. The same goes for the businesses born within them. And with Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, you can find the biggest selection of black-owned and women-owned beer, wine, and spirits brands, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. Now you can sip with purpose and explore brands that are shifting in industry while amplifying voices often left unheard. Find your new favorite drinks while supporting the diverse stories that make them great. Make your memorable moments even more meaningful by choosing brands with intention. Show your support and raise a glass to the spirit of representation and belonging, all while discovering incredible drinks with stories worth celebrating. Just download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com to start sipping with purpose. Welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. This week, my guest is Darren Franklin. This guy is Austin, Texas royalty, and one of the most influential pitmasters in the history of barbecue. He's been featured in a Chase Sapphire card commercial, performed on several cooking shows, had a cameo opposite of Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson in the 2014 film Chef, and has produced a best-selling cookbook since founding a restaurant, Franklin Barbecue, in 2009. Aaron is the definition of self-made, no formal culinary or college education. He taught himself how to cook and even taught himself about thermodynamics and welding to fabricate his own smokers, also known as pits. This guy may not have a formal education, but he has a PhD in hard work, sacrifice, and dedication, something we can all learn a little about. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience at Whiskey Tango Foxtrot in Austin, Texas. And here is my interview with Aaron. And welcome back to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cirelli. I'm joined by Austin Royalty. Is that? Is that? Yeah, I don't know if I'd go that far. I, some, I, some guy that drives a truck and builds fires. I, I think I have the liberty to say that. Uh, Austin Royalty, Aaron Franklin, um, who is well known for Franklin Barbecue. Uh, I mean, you are one of the most influential. In this, these are... From research, not my words, one of the most influential pit masters in the history of barbecue. That's huge. Making me feel very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the point. That's, that's, that's my job. I, I'm a little disappointed you didn't bring barbecue. Well, we ran I, out a couple hours ago. That, that's why my voice is scratchy, because we had so many people, and I talked to all of them, and then we ran out of food. So this, this is from our research. It says you have reportedly... Sold out of brisket every single day 
since the restaurant opened. Yeah, that's about right. But, you know, really, if you think about when we opened, I was only making two briskets a day. And really, that was in case one of them turned out terrible. Eh, we were maybe only serving like 10 because we were in a trailer on the side of a road. Um, so, but technically, yes, that oh, is we're, true. We're, we're going to get to the side of the road. So, I... I I'm gonna ask. When, when, the you, when, when you're invited to parties, <laughs> you know people are like, "Oh, hey, my buddy Aaron Franklin is coming. He's he, he's awesome. Franklin Barbecue, world famous." And then you show up without barbecue, and people are like, "Oh." Yeah. Well, so you know that's interesting because usually people are like, "Who?" Nah. Um, and then I and you know and the the other side of that is I just don't go to parties. <laughs> I fall asleep at my recliner about I don't know nine fifteen nine thirty every night. Yeah, you're lucky to have me out tonight. I mean, it's late. What is it? Six oh eight p.m. Woo! It, yeah, it's passed up. Well, nothing good happens after. This is my wife and I. Nothing good happens after eight p.m. Yeah, but everything awesome happens after ten. <laughs> no, 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 not really. Well, it, there's a certain stage in your life where you, you, I think you give that up or you don't. I mean, we are in a city, Austin, uh, of Peter Pan's. I, I know you've probably heard that. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, my days when I came to Austin. And I came to Austin in 2015, freshly divorced. Somebody introduced me to Tinder and Bumble, and it was game on. But, you know, for those two years, I was going to the bars religiously. You just saw the same people over and over. Every day. Yeah. Every night. It, it got old. So, Aaron, we're, we're going to go back to the start because this is a interesting story. You know, you, you don't want to hear it, but you are absolutely – the definition of a warrior within your respective profession. You've honed your craft, and I know that is thousands upon thousands of hours getting good at what you do. And Well, thank you. So, Brian, Texas. You're it's born true. Brian, Texas. I was. I was. Um, December 17th, 1977 at 8.42 p.m. I was November 11th, 1977. So, oh, snap. We, you know, we're, so, both 44. Yeah, that, that is true. That. We are old, indeed. You're looking a lot better than uh, than I am for the No, age. no, no. Dude, what was it like growing up in Bryan, Texas? Well, it wasn't my favorite place to be. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not. Um, you know, I've it, it all. You know, you can't really help where you grow up. Um, but I had a good time there, I guess. I mean, I started collecting furniture when I was about twelve, getting ready to move. <laughs> um, but I also had the luxury to grow up in, you know, a restaurant that my parents ran for a couple years. Yep, it was a barbecue place. It was. Um, and then my grandparents owned a record store um, that they bought in 1982. So I spent most of my years in a record store selling records, fixing cassette tapes. They had cassettes back then. Um, I, spending I records behind this, the counter, this, doing this in stores. Yeah, what is this magnetic yeah. tape thing? Um, but it turned into a, a music store later, like a guitar shop uh, in 89. And I started doing guitar amp repair and started giving guitar lessons about that time. So my first full-time job was when I was 12, really. Hence, buying a microwave when I was like 12. So are you still a guitar player? Yeah, I am. Is that a passion? Um, it has... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that. Do, do, do you jam? I do. do I actually have a band. Stress? Like, yeah, yeah, I sit on the couch every morning. Now that, you know, I don't work 120-hour weeks, um, I get to have coffee at home um, before I take the kid to school. So I usually just sit on the couch and kneel around. But I do have a band and stuff, too. You just said 120-hour weeks. Is that an exaggeration, or is that a god honest truth? No, that's dead on for back oh, in the day. Right. We're, we're going to get there. First off, I, I've got to talk about Brian. Uh, so I'm a California kid, born and raised in the Bay Area. 
then joined the Marine Corps after high school and was stationed in San Diego. And the Marine Corps said at one point, this is before 9-11, said, hey, you're doing a half-decent job in the Marine Corps. Um, you've only had two alcohol-related incidents. We think you're officer material. Uh, the, the, it was slim pickings back in the, the late 90s. Yeah, like, said, we require four, at least. <laughs> they said, hey, you know, would you be interested in becoming an officer? And at the time, nothing was going on, and all my peers that had, had more time than the Marine Corps, they're like, dude, if they're going to pay for it, go to, go to school. And I went, they sent me to Texas A&M. The, you know, the, the internet is not raging. So what was that, the late 90s? This is the, I guess? well, by this point, it was 99 that I was selected. So yeah, 2000 happened. Uh, Y2K? Yeah, Y2K Oh, yeah, yeah, happened. yeah. But why? <laughs> and uh, so, again, I don't have the money to go visit. I'm a sergeant in the Marine Corps. And so I fly out to... Uh, Texas A&M, as I'm flying in, it was the most humbling experience. Because That's a huge culture shock coming from SF. Well, it was San Diego. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Diego. Even more. And I phoned my mom crying, which is embarrassing. I started in the Marine Corps and said, hey, you know, uh, this is not what I thought. I'm, I'm kind of locked into this thing I now. I on the Marine Corps or on the internet. I'm like, and, uh, you know, basically the guidance I got was if getting free education don't call me to cry on, on my shoulder if you yeah. don't like it finish early i finished in three years and got the hell out of there but um, yeah i mean i you know the pretty much the day after i turned 18 I, i'm pretty sure i reserved the u-haul when i was like 14 sorry mom and dad i just really wanted to go do something it served its purpose i was thankful i i think the aggies are a weird culture and you got to be careful here we're in texas i'm I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I will. Well, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's got their, what they're into. Yes. And that's okay. It is. That's what makes things exciting. That's what makes thing. That's what makes people good at things. They have different interests. All good. And, and that's the beauty of it. I, I remember my first time that I knew I was in a different culture is uh, I was in my Marine uniform and I walked on the grass Ooh. and somebody just yelled at me like I had just hit an old lady. And they did it in a way that was just so embarrassing to me because everyone stopped and was looking at me. Oh, it's and a thing. Uh, it's a cult. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the Aggie network is strong and I'm proud to come it, from it. It truly is. It is a, it is a cult-like uh, environment. So, 18, you leave Dodge. Where do you go? Um, I pretty much head straight to Austin. Um, at that point, you know, I'd been playing music forever, grew up in a music store, played guitar, played drums, uh, played drums in, in some bands, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was at a show uh, probably in, like, the 95, I guess. I was here uh, seeing a show at Liberty Lunch with, with some friends. And um, I remember sitting out there and, you know, looking at, like, the old, like, Norwest Tower. And like, God, this place is cool. And somebody, like, hits me on the arm, like, hey, you want to hit this? I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm okay, but thank you very much. It's, it's very kind of you. Um, and I didn't, and I don't. Um, and then a few minutes later, I was like, hey, you want a beer? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll have a beer, sure. Um, and I was like, God, these people are so nice. Just pick what your the heck is going on around here? Because yeah. where I'm from, people are like, you look funny. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so yeah. it really, I was like, man, I, just, I was just blown away. I was like, people are, are just so friendly here. You fell I, in love with Austin. Yep. Um, and they still are so friendly here. And that's really what I love about Austin. That's why I've stayed here ever since. So I moved here in 1996. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've had like 5,000 different jobs over the years. Um, I cannot get fired from Franklin Barbecue. I've been trying for like 12 years now. Um, I keep getting written up. 
They just I, I've heard horrible ownership is what I've heard. Uh, oh yeah, terrible. I, that guy's such a jerk. Um, but yeah, you know, just played music and, and just hung out in Austin. Didn't didn't really do much. I knew I wanted to do something. I just hadn't quite figured out what it was yet. Um, you know, in about 2002, I think I started. Uh, I bought a little backyard cooker, cooked a brisket. It was like, ooh, this is kind of fun. I like this. But let's step back. So your parents owned a barbecue restaurant. They did. They had a place in Bryan. <clears throat> um, oh gosh, for probably about two or three years, I guess. Um, you know, and I was like 11 or 12 or something like that. Thought it was the coolest place in the world. It was kind of like old Smitty style, like with the yeah. fire on the floor, yes. you know, brick pit and everything. Smelled like old grease, had grease fires, put them out. Um, it was a real like East Texas kind of barbecue joint. Real simple, but my dad cooked everything. My mom waited the tables, worked up front, and I did prep in the back. And then I worked all the lunches. I was scooped a potato salad, and they did a weird thing there. We No, I don't think anyone does this now. I think it's an East Texas thing. Um, but they would do Texas toast on a flat top. So I worked the, I worked the plancha uh, when I was like 12-ish um, and just loved it. I, I mean, I would sit, be back there for hours just cutting lemons and onions and making sauces and doing all the stuff. And I was like, ah, this is just the coolest thing ever. Um, and then, not, of course, not realizing how hard it was for them because um, it was really, at one point they hired one other person. Um, it was just a lunchtime spot, but it was like pretty much my mom, my dad, myself, and maybe one other person uh, that was probably a little less skillful than me. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't realize how hard it was. I mean, it, I mean, you know, it's like when somebody becomes president, they look like they're 25. And then when they come out, they look 104. It was kind of like that. My parents sold that place. I was like, oh, my God. Aged them. You guys are old. <laughs> Sucks to be you. Man, uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs> so you, you got a... Crash course in owning I did, but, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I didn't realize, like, how much work they were really putting into it. Like, I kind of realized what, like, yeah. what kind of toll it took on the family, um, but I was kind of older, and it didn't really matter and stuff. Uh, my standards were really low. Um, but, uh, you know, skip ahead many, many years when I fired up that first brisket. I'm like, oh, well, this is nostalgic. This is fun. Ah, I remember. Uh, you know, like, it just brought back so many memories of, like, the fire and, and just sitting out there and, you know, there was no barbecue scene back then. You have to remember, I mean, it's like 2002, there, all this stuff we know didn't exist. Here in Austin. Here in Texas, you had Smitty's, you had Kreitz, you had, um, we had Ruby's barbecue here in town, but, you know, you had Louis Miller's out in Taylor. But the scene, like a thousand barbecue places and the people actually seek it out, it didn't exist. So it was like really like some subculture kind of stuff which is generally kind of where I lie anyway, like, you know, going to shows, you know, being at bands, doing this weird barbecue thing that no one's ever heard of. Ah, I don't want to go to culinary school. I'll figure it out myself um, kind of thing. But, you know, I just got so excited. And then at that point, I mean, I remember the first night cooking a brisket in the backyard, um, drinking a beer and just being like, man, I want to open a restaurant one day. This is cool, man. That, that's literally how easy that happened. Well, that's how easily I decided. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then so I started kind of formulating a plan in my head. Uh, Stacy, my now wife and, and partner in crime on, a, on Franklin, my better half, needless to say. Um, they usually we had, are. What's they, that? I said they usually are. They Absolutely. Usually are, um, so we, that was, we had just gotten our first apartment together back in 02. 
Um, and that's why I went and bought that little barbecue pit. So I just remember being like, okay, I was kind of starting to like play. It's kind of like the beginning of Game of Thrones where all the little like pieces are starting to move around. That's what my head usually looks like inside besides the hamster wheel that's going on. Um, so I kind of started plotting a plan about pretty much that night. So you and Stacy are married at this point? Or we are indeed. Yes. So where, where, when did you meet Stacy? I met her at a bar about two blocks that way. <laughs> on, on West Six. Yeah. Um, Love at first sight? Oh, absolutely. She, she has been my best friend since the first time. Well, well, hold hold on, because this is, this is so rare that people <clears throat> meet at bars, because usually it's electronically now. You saw her at a bar? Oh, no. This was like, we had like Zach Morris phones back then. We had what? <laughs> we had like Zach Morris telephones back then. <laughs> <laughs> Did, like a J.R. Ewing in the back of the thing. Did you have the balls to go up to her? Or did no. So what it was is my roommate was dating her roommate. There you go. And she had just moved to town. He's like, hey, you need to meet this girl. She seems real cool. Um, and, you know, of course, I was playing in bands and touring a fair bit then and, you know, right around that time and stuff. And uh, so I, I was standing on the corner. I was seeing it, watching the show, standing on the corner, eating a slice of Rapolos on like 7th and Red River. And uh, this big white band van pulls up. It's my roommate. He's like, dude, get in the van. I'm like, no, where are you going? He's like, get in the van. It's like, I'm eating pizza. I'm over the show. Get in the van. Going to so-and-so to meet so-and-so. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll get in the van. <laughs> Ten minutes later, we just sat there all night talking. And then I've pretty much, we've hung out together pretty much every day ever since. And you have one daughter, is that correct? We have one Viv? kiddo. Uh, her name is Viv, and she is eight. Eight. How's that going for you? She's the coolest person I've ever known, besides Stacy. What, what, so have you already discussed with her what, what she wants to be? Um, she wants to be all kinds of stuff. She wants to be uh, the president one day, and I think she can be. Um, she wants to run a restaurant. She wants to be an astronaut. Uh, all kinds of stuff. So I think she's going to be okay. All signs point to her doing pretty okay. High, high aspirations. I love it. I love it. So you get the cooker. You think, hey, I want to do this. Now, was it based off the fact that you had fun or people actually <clears throat> ate what you cooked and they're like, dude, you got to do this for a living? Oh, no, no, no. What I cooked was a raging POS. I mean, it was terrible. And I'm not talking about a point of sale system. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, everybody was like, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. But things were different then. I mean, our standard of barbecue back, and that wasn't that long ago, but back then was like the really thin sliced, pretty tough flat on a brisket with the flat sliced off and cut upside down. Like that was real normal. Um, so we didn't really, everybody's like, yeah, this is good stuff. This is good. I was like, yeah, it is pretty good. You're right. Um, I had no idea. I had no idea the trajectory that I would end up taking. Give me the evolution. So you have that moment. Where does John Mueller come into play? Oh, I worked there scooping sides for like a year. Until before, I really, before this or no, 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 no. So I did that brisket, um, you know, and it was really, I never, I don't even think I told Stacy. It's like, ah, man, this is, I really had a, this was, this was cool. Like I've got this just strange, like calling for this. I, I, I couldn't really explain it. Um, it was like something just really struck a chord with me. Um, no music pun intended, but um, yeah. So I kept kind of like, you know, lay in bed at night and just think about stuff. You're like, ah, yeah, this is how I could do this. Ah, the, you know, kind of like old, like 50s, like vacuum cleaner salesman kind of guys, you know, like, ah, what's it going to take to get you into this toaster oven today? Yeah, see? Um, so, like, in my head, it was like formulating how to build a restaurant out of absolutely nothing. Mind you, we had absolutely nothing. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's not that I was lazy. It's just I didn't really make a good employee for anyone. 
Um, I think it was kind of destined to work for myself. Um, I look terrible on paper. If Franklin Barbecue went out of business right now, I probably couldn't get a job at Subway. So you're lying in bed next to your wife thinking about barbecue. Yeah, and then so I did another brisket, and I kind of just started practicing in the backyard. Um, like, hey, we're going to do brisket on Sunday. You guys come over, you know, and then it became, we started doing quite a few of them, and we started having backyard barbecues over quite a few years. Um, focus groups. What's that? Basically focus groups. Oh, no, just fun backyard. Like, okay. you're like, hey, we're making food on Sunday. Bring a sixer. Let's hang out. And before we knew it, like, a lot of people were really starting to show up, and it kind of became a thing. So somewhere in that area... Maybe 2003-ish, 2004-ish, somewhere in there. Um, I already had two other jobs, and I wanted to take another job, and I wanted to work at a real barbecue place. But the problem was there weren't any real barbecue places to be had in Austin. We had Rubies that cooked on a real fire. And when I say, no, not Rudies, Rubies, they might have been closed by the time you moved here, actually. Okay. Um, but that was a super legit um, barbecue joint that was on 29th and Guadalupe back in the day. Um, I don't know what's there now. It's some, they tore it down and, you know, probably whatever. Probably a high rise. Um, probably. Um, but it was a real fire. And that, so that was my criteria is that I had to work at a restaurant that didn't use an oven because that's what everybody used back then. They had gas-fired rotisseries. So you throw a log in, like a Southern Pride or an Old Hickory or something like that, and that's all the barbecue that people were used to. And there was one guy, um, and I'd, I hadn't been out to Taylor yet. I'd never heard of, of Louis Miller or, or Lockhart stuff or anything um, so I got a job at this guy's restaurant named uh, John Mueller, or as he pronounced it, Muller. Um, but John Mueller, just so we all know yeah, what we're talking what, about. What everybody? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the proper pronunciation is. Um, I'm just going to say it like it's spelled. Um, anyway, so I go in there and I ask for a job because he used real fires. I didn't know anything about the place. Didn't know who he was. No clue. Um, you know, didn't know his lineage or anything. So went in there and was like, hey, I love barbecue. I really want to work here. He's like, get lost, kid. It's like, okay, hey, but I really want to work here. He's like, get out of here. He was super rude. Um, I was like, all right. So I left. A couple days later, I go back and there. was like, hey, man, I want a job. Let me do something. He's like, gosh, nothing for you to do. Got any experience? No, get out of here. I was like, don't you tell me what I can't do. Um, you know, because I'm a, I'm a little bit like that. If you tell me I can't do something, oh, or like you'll never like figure that. I'm like, yeah, oh man, shots fired, dude. I'm figuring that out. Um, so I probably went in like three, four, or five times, um, and finally, um, you know, I was like, hey, look, man, I don't I don't care what you pay me. I just I'll work on Saturdays. I'll like whatever you need. Like I want to cut onions. I just want to hang out. You know, and what I really wanted to do is I wanted to work that job in that environment on top of all the other jobs that I was doing because somehow subconsciously I already knew what I was getting, what kind of like. So you wanted to learn the industry as best as possible. Wasn't even the industry. I wanted to see if I liked it before I really put my eggs in that basket. So, you know, I, I got a job there um, and really I, I think I got paid. I mean, I think you, well, I got paid in the, in the early days of it, I guess. Um, but you know, like I would just work, I would just show up and work. Like, there was a schedule. It was like, ah, I'm not at the other job. I'm just going straight there. Um, and I did that for a good while. Um, and I never cooked anything, but I cut onions. Kind of pretty much did the same stuff I was doing when I was 12. You know, and, like, at night when everybody would just kind of, like, disappear that work there, a customer would come in and be like, hey, how's it going? 
like, ah, oh, pretty good. It's like, ah, oh, what can I get for you? So I just kind of did my own thing at night because nobody else was there to, to manage or anything. Um, so what I realized, I, I learned a lot of, of what not to do in a restaurant. So, um, so, so when, let me ask you this. Were you watching every aspect? Not really, business? but I was. I mean, it was like, really, but, I wasn't like giving like side eye or anything, but you know, like, I, yeah, I was definitely paying attention. Um, and, but it, but what I was really doing, I was like, okay, that's wrong. That's wrong. And I think it's probably from my parents' place. Um, I was like, Ooh, that's filthy. Nah, I think you're supposed to pay the dumpster people. I don't know, just a hunch. Um, and so I ended up just kind of like, I'm going to go back and wash all these dishes after this other guy washes the dishes. I'm going to fold these towels after we close, you know, and I just kind of took it upon myself to, to make that place better as a project. It's just a fun, just something to do pretty much. Um, but what I was really trying to do is I just wanted to make sure that if I got into barbecue and I was really going to be serious about it, it wasn't going to be something that a year or two down the road would be like, oh God, this is too hard. I'm out. So at some point you come back to Stacey and you're like, hey, listen. Oh no, no. She smelled it a mile away. She totally knew what was going on. She's like, what are, what? I don't know. And she was super not really that into it, but she supporters like yeah that's cute you want to do barbecue and stuff whatever stop making me try sauces these are nasty um but you know she worked in restaurants also she waited tables she was you know managers at a couple restaurants and stuff she super knew what as well but she knows how to run a great absolutely um turns out she does (laughs) um she's quite good at it um but anyway so she was kind of like waiting tables and stuff and i was just partner around doing random jobs and stuff. And, you know, for the longest time, it ended up, you know, just like fixing up people's houses or like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll do those cabinets for you. Oh, I'll go work this job and stuff. Um, but I was kind of starting to like, you know, collect the pieces to build a restaurant one day. You know, I was like, I'm going to need a warmer. I'm going to make it like, we're going to have a backyard barbecue and I'm going to do it like this, this time. How much can I cook? So I started kind of collecting. I don't want to say hoarding because that makes it sound a little sloppier than it really was, but maybe hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> collecting stuff, you know, it's like, okay, I need this cooker. I need this cutting board. Um, and I had abundance of materials around. So I just ended up making everything that we needed. Um, and then we ended up having backyard barbecues for like a hundred, 130 plus people on a Sunday and having to rent tables. And Stacy, it was, it should have been so obvious. It wasn't because so you were renting, what, renting tables. Or well, renting so tables here's the thing. I should have known. I should have realized then that Stacy was such a badass. Uh, because I was having this barbecue, and this is after I worked at John Mueller's place, Miller, Miller, um, and I had somehow ended up buying this 500-gallon propane tank that he had lost in a business transaction that the restaurant owner of the restaurant that Stacy worked at had purchased, and he had it on Craigslist, and, you know, weird thing is like, hey, I want that cooker, how much? It's like, oh, $2,000, like, whatever, dude. No, no. it's like, later. Um, a year down the road, it came back and I was like, I'll give you 500 bucks for it. He's like, ah, this thing is such a piece. Yeah, I'll, give you, I'll take it 500. So I gave him 500 bucks. Shocked I had that kind of money. Um, anyway, so I had just gotten this car. I was like, we're going to celebrate. We're going we're gonna to throw a huge barbecue. Um, and that was officially the beginning of Franklin Barbecue is what happened because, you know, I'm making this food. I'm doing the stuff. I set up like a cutting board in the back. And I was like, you know, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cut everything on the spot. And I'd always been doing that, you know. Um, and then that was like a Saturday. or I might have been Saturday, actually. Um, Stacy's kind of getting worried. She's like, ah, man, everywhere I go in town, people keep mentioning this barbecue. I'm kind of worried. I think a lot more people than you think are going to show up are going to show up. 
um, I think, I think you're in trouble. It was like, nah, nobody, we'll have like 20 people. Like nobody's going to show up. She's like, I don't know. I'm going to go rent some tables. So she took it upon herself to drive out to Elgin, pick up some sausage, worried that we weren't going to have enough food. Um, you know, uh, she called a, a Lazona Rosa back in the day that used to rent tables and took my truck, packed up a bunch of tables, packed up a bunch of chairs. We set them up in the backyard. I strung up lights that night uh, in the backyard. And I'll be damned if 130 people showed up. All friends. But, I, like, I hung out at clubs back then playing music and stuff. Like, I would make these little, like, handbills, like little, like, you know, like, for shows and stuff, you know. They're like, hey, having a barbecue. Hey, having a barbecue. So people are kind of like, oh, that's Aaron the barbecue guy. Ah, oh, that's Aaron the barbecue guy. I didn't really know this at this point. Um, you know, I was out and about, like a new people and stuff. Um, so anyway, we kind of set this thing up like, I don't know. And I'm starting to get a little nervous. I'm like, ah, oh, man, briskets are done kind of early. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to leave them on the cooker. You know, I'd wrap them in, in butcher paper and stuff. Like, I'm just going to leave them like this, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. You know, just kind of being a big old freaking dum-dum, you know, just not knowing what to do because there was no template. There, were, there was no, like, content to pull from anywhere. You could ask a guy named Jeeves how to cook a brisket, but he didn't have a good answer for you. You know, this was, this is really dating how far back yeah, this was. Every, you know? every Texan with a green egg will tell you how to cook uh, Yeah, but big green eggs weren't even around really hardly then. You know, it's like you had, like, holes in the ground and stuff. So, anyway, I uh, start to realize, you know, the briskets are ready, sides are ready, made all this stuff got the cutting board set up and I was kind of sitting there. I was like, all right, so I guess I'll cut this. I'll, I'll arrange it like that. You know, figuring out I'm using plus. Um, and then all these people start showing up. I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, Hey, you know, I made an announcement. I was like, all right, dinner's ready. Let's eat. And then I kind of like go and I tie on my little apron and stuff. And uh, I look up and there's the first person in line at the cutting board. And there was a line that went all the way down the backyard, around the house, down the driveway and down the street. Every person formed a single line file. I'd never seen this before. You know, I was like, what the heck? And I remember I pulled out the first brisket and I was like unwrapping it and stuff. And I put it on the board and I was like, I looked at it and it jiggled. And I never cooked a brisket like that before. Um, and I looked up at the person that was in front of me. Her name was Pat, Pam Koloff. She was a Texas monthly barbecue writer. No kidding. And wife of a fella I played in a band with. Okay. So she was the first person in line because they were just barbecue nerds, you know, and this wasn't a scene, you know. Um, and she, I look at her and we both look at the brisket and she's like, oh my God, that thing looks good. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know where this came from. I don't know how it happened. And I, you know, pulled out a knife and I started slicing like, and we're both like, oh my God, this is tender. <laughs> I never made a tender brisket before. And a huge light bulb went off. I was like, oh. And so I started backtracking all the steps that I'd taken and kind of like, you know, it's like when Kaiser Sose, you know, with a coffee mug, like the whole thing just came together. And then I started chit-chatting with every person, cutting everything to order. And that was officially the beginning of Franklin Barbecue. Did she write backyard. an article? What's that? Did she write an article at that? that no, time? but we... Down the line? Texas Monthly figured it out pretty oh, quick. Yeah. She was also like our first day in the trailer. The whole Texas Monthly office showed up to okay. eat lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, They were across the you street. You start there. up a trailer off the... Interstate 35, mm -hmm. which is almost equivalent to selling oranges on, uh, off, off the interstate. Uh, or, well, you, actually, you, you, we were between a topless bar and an adult video store. Oh, there you go. A topless behind bar. Behind a, a dilapidated Texaco station, behind a chain link fence, without really having a sign for the place. And you start to back the house. And well, so... 2009, it, correct? Yeah, so this is December of 2009. 
Um, it was cold and kind of gloomy, as most Decembers should be. Um, you know, and that's when I was doing the two briskets a day. And I was kind of, I never really, I never cooked a rack of ribs before we opened. Like, I didn't really have the money just to, like, cook stuff and play around with it. I mean, it had to really have a purpose. Um, so I, you know, scrounged our money. I think if one check had cleared on opening day, we would have had 28 cents in the bank. That's how close we cut it on opening day. Uh, we actually opened with insurance money that Stacy got from a little fender bender. We never fixed her car. Um, so we opened up, you know, it was like two briskets a day, like real low standards. I mean, it's like, what a, I had a spreadsheet. I was like, remember an old friend of mine was looking at it. He's like, dude, you only need to feed 15 people a day. I was like, well, those are the numbers I think I'm working with. So yeah, I'm just going to have to make it work. Uh, it was real small. So I would do by one, two briskets on Saturdays. I did three briskets because uh, that was the big barbecue day. Ooh. Um, and one thing led to another and, you know, it got busier. And then uh, at the end of December, uh, a fellow named Daniel Vaughn came by and he had a blog called Full Custom Gospel. Do they still have blogs? I don't know. Um, anyway, he ended up being the Texas Monthly Barbecue Editor years later, but then he was not. Uh, that job, that, that, that position had not been created yet. Um, but oddly enough, a neighbor behind our trailer said this is like the stars of Saturn or the moons of Saturn truly aligned for all this stuff. Um, his, one of his good college buddies from Tulane lived a few houses behind our barbecue trailer. And this guy is a rad dude, um, you know, called up Daniel. He's like, hey, some guys opened up a barbecue trailer and uh, it's good. You should check it out. So Daniel popped in with a couple guys. He ended up writing a post about it, blah, 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 blah. When I look out one day, I was like, oh my God, why are these, why do these people have lawn chairs outside the gate that I haven't opened yet? And I wasn't expecting anything. And then I figured it out because the first was like, I went out there. I was like, what is going on? I don't have enough food to feed you four people. Um, it won't be ready for another hour. You know, super winging it. I would go, I would like pull the briskets, go eat tacos and just watch from across I-35. If somebody pulled up, I would drive over. Um, but anyway, so the rest is pretty much history. You and, were you and Stacy living on eggshells? At the beginning, living, mean, on, this, living on what? Eggshells in, ter in terms of whether this business was going to make it or not. I mean, well, so she kept her job to pay our bills. Okay. Um, that is one hell of a wife, dude. Absolutely. She's it, also probably working weekends at. at the yeah, trailer. yeah. So she worked weekends at the trailer, and she kept her job to pay the bills. Our, our cost of living was painfully low. I mean, I think we probably spent five hundred dollars a month to live. I mean, it was mm -hmm. it was awesome. Was a lot cheaper then, you know. Um, but yeah, so I just worked it at the trailer, um, and then she helped out, and you know, and like both of us, I mean, we just had to figure it out. We'd never owned a restaurant before. Come on. Before we get to uh, actually, let's get let's get to mid roll because I want to get into what it takes to perfect your craft in this profession. I mean, no culinary training, and yet you've become. Uh, I mean, some of the things I've read: best barbecue in Texas, if not America. I'm assuming that means internationally as well, because I, is there much barbecue outside of a... That's probably a safe assumption. Okay, yeah. Universe? I don't know. So we, we ask hard questions before our, our mid-roll. Uh, hardest decision you've ever had to make? Hmm. I think the hardest decision we've ever had to make, personal or business-related? Either. They're I'm going to go... the same. I, I'm going to... Yes. Yeah, pretty close. I think the hardest decision we had to make was what do we do with our restaurant at the beginning of the pandemic? It's the only time we ever looked at each other like we're about to lose our business. 
That was real sketchy. And coming and off the wake of part of your restaurant burned down with... Yeah, a, a number of years before that. Yeah, and that was fine. It's just a silly old building. We'll, we'll build that thing back. No big deal. Uh, but the pandemic, that was... We've been having some real existential uh, thoughts <laughs> over the last couple of years. Um, but once we figured it out, it was fine. But I mean... You know, like the world is burning. Everything, yeah. you know, like nobody had any data to, to make a, a, a good decision about anything. Did you guys transition to to go? Yeah, or we did. We, um, you know, our dining room pretty much looked like a Domino's pizza delivery uh, <laughs> place. I mean, boxes everywhere. We had one guy that could really do the flip really fast. Um, people scattered like roaches. You're we like, I'm out. My mom's, you know, compromised. I'm done. I'm, you know, and it was just kind of every man for themselves. Um, but we kind of figured it out it took about two or three weeks, um, but we actually switched to curbside before it was mandatory. We beat gotcha. it by a day, gotcha. um, you know, it, but what a weird scene, but just like watching like everything go down and be like, Oh my God, I don't know if this restaurant can, can sustain no customers. I don't think it can. Biggest regret of your life. No regrets. I'm going to say I've got, so I've got a tattoo on my lower back. And it's, uh, it says no regrets. <laughs> First off, it's, it's a tramp stamp. No, I didn't want to say that. Um, no, I really don't have any tattoos, but I'm going to say no regrets. <laughs> so funny enough, you know, my time in the SEALs, you'd have some of the dudes that served in the like late 80s, early 90s, take their shirt off, and there'd be a tramp stamp right there. And we're like, uh, like dude, uh, they're like, hey. Hey, man. It was, it was okay in the 90s. They weren't called tramp stamps, um, which I don't know why they didn't have them removed, but that's beyond the, uh, the point. Okay, we're going to take about a three-minute, five-minute break, and we're going to be right back with Aaron Franklin. We're going to go, go, dive go. in. Community is always worth celebrating. The same goes for the businesses born within them. And with Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, you can find the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits that are Black-owned and women-owned and more. Then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. Now you can sip with purpose and discover great drinks with stories worth celebrating. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com to start sipping with purpose. And we're back with uh, Aaron Franklin. Um, So, Aaron, you've come a long way since the days of a trailer and only two briskets. Yeah, now we've now we have like 10 trailers. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, I'm a true Texan. I, I mean, the second I rolled in to Austin with my U-Haul behind my Tacoma, you know, one, I, I came from Virginia Beach where you can't even get a good steak. I mean, Outback Steakhouse was, 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 was the, uh, the best we had. Everyone's like, you got to go to Franklin's Barbecue. And... When I went, the line was around the block. People are sitting in uh, beach chairs, right? Yeah, like lawn chairs and stuff. Lawn, yeah. lawn like chairs. little fold-up camping chairs. And some people brought their own beer, which that's legal in Austin, correct? Well, it, it depends on what license you've got. Okay. Like beer license. Beer license. Yeah. So people are drinking beer. They're waiting for barbecue hours. I mean, that's, that is loyalty and dedication, dude. That is, I know. That it's is crazy. a brand. And there's not a day that goes by that I'm not so thankful for all those people. Wow. Did you try to make it walk around that block and introduce yourself? Oh, all the time. Yeah. That's why my voice sounds like this. <sighs> what, what I want to drive into and drive home for, for our listeners here is, I mean, one, you said you were working 120 hours a week. I, I know it's a 24-hour operation because those, those mm-hmm. cookers mm-hmm. are going. No, it truly is. 
I mean, you, you, you taught yourself how to weld. Uh, yesterday we came by the restaurant. You, you said fluid dynamics? Fluid dynamics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I There's some stuff going on inside I'm like, hey, did you say thermodynamics? He just lost me. You're like, what? So, <laughs> no culinary training. Dude, talk me how you perfect your craft from the cooking to designing your own. I say cookers. Is that? Or yeah, no, cookers? that's accurate. Yeah, okay. absolutely. What is that? What does that take? Go on a monologue, man, because this is insane that you went from no training to having. One well, of the here's most the thing, though. You have to think like restaurants. What is training? You're taking someone else's point of view yeah. and you're doing what they told you to do. Um, Which but is you, guidance. It's nothing more than guidance. Yeah, it's totally guidance. You know, but I mean, if, you know, as maybe someone that's a little creative, you know, and really flipping stubborn, um, you know, super bullheaded, I, I, I piss myself off with the arguments that I get with myself. You know, I can't win. Um, but if you think about like all these things, like there's no training involved in any of this stuff because life was training every, it's kind of like when you watch one of those movies and like, you know, like <laughs> you know, old Joe dirt. <laughs> Dur- has some Durte, job. Yeah, uh, yeah Joe Durte. <laughs> Um, But you know, like you've got a job that does this or you learned how to do this or you had a hobby that did this or, you know, you got really into like, I mean, I love electricity and electrical engineering and stuff like that. Um, so I'm really good at electrical. I can rewire houses very easily, and I totally know the code book. Um, so that's helpful. I'm really good at plumbing. I'm really good at carpentry. I'm really good at building things, good with my hands. Um, but then when you combine all these things, so as part of the plan to open up a restaurant, or I never really wanted a trailer. That was just a way to get to an actual building, yeah. of course. Yes. Um, but uh, which, you know, really luckily fell into our laps pretty easily. Um, well, I don't want to say easily. That's not true. Um, but anyway, um, so if, you know, like you're plotting this plan, and I, I've got a point to this, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so you know where you want to be, and then you start to think about, you backtrack. It's like, okay, well, how do I get there? So then you start to tr- strategically decide, oh, well, I need to learn how to do electrical work. I'm going to get a job doing this. Oh, I'm going to have to build butcher blocks one day. I'm going to, I'm going to get a third job doing this. Oh, well, man, I need to learn how to do this. Well, I'm going to buy a welder and just figure it out. Um, because this was before like YouTube, you couldn't really look on YouTube and learn anything. You had to figure it out. Um, but I'm a tinkerer by nature, pretty darn handy. Um, and I really like to think about things. Like I'm pretty, I get pretty heady sometimes about like figuring out like processes and, and things like that. Um, but really, you know, if you think about like early days of cooking barbecue, the end goal was to own a restaurant. So that's like 10 plus years of just thinking about every detail that it takes to get there. So then you start checking off the boxes and that's how you get good at this stuff. That's why you don't need training. I mean, training is cool if you want it like the shortcut, sure. But to be able to like learn all these skills and learn all these things. So then finally, like when this restaurant finally becomes a reality, it's like, oh, the warmer's broken. Oh yeah, that's just thermocouple. I know how to fix that. Oh, let me get my own meter. Oh, yep. Broken connection. Ah, impedance is off. I got this. I got backups in my garage. Um, you know, like, oh, well, the, the cooker, this happened. Ah, I could do that. Oh, you know, so I had that side of it. But at the same time, you know, Stacy... What, she was developing all these skills of like, oh, well, this is how you do the economics of a restaurant. This is how you set up QuickBooks. This is how you do this and that. And, you know, like service, we're both very service oriented. I mean, 
obviously I'm talking your freaking ears off right now. Um, I'm a pretty friendly guy. Like, I like to talk to people um, until I don't. <laughs> but, um, you know, so really that's kind of, that was our training. I mean, it's like a lifetime of training. It's like one of those movies when you watch it, everything just kind of comes together at the tail end. It's like, oh, that's what that meant. So it was a self-guided tour. In terms of the end product, the barbecue, was, just, was that just years and hours of testing? No tests? testing. Uh, we learned on the fly. It was years of opening up Franklin Barbecue and be like, man, I need six briskets today. I got to learn how to do this. Oh, my God. It's snowing and the wood's green. I got to figure this out. Um, so it was, we just learned on the spot. We figured it out as we went. And we still are. Because there's no equation, there's no like, there's no solid found. There's a solid like the basics. You can have the basics for sure, but restaurants are so squirrely, especially barbecue. I mean, you've got you're cooking 24 hours a day. You've got a 12 or 14 hour brisket cook here in Central Texas. That could be three different seasons that you go through to get to the end of that brisket. So you got to really figure things out on the spot. Let, let me lead with this question: What's your favorite barbecue place outside of Franklin Barbecue? Mm. Who are you going to give props to? Or is that a completely loaded question for the, the profession you're in? Well, it sort of is, but, you know, really, I don't think I look to my favorite barbecue restaurants. I look more to, like, culture and longevity yes. um, than just the, the whatever food they're serving. So I tend to kind of migrate towards, you know, obviously not chains, not like the I, – I like the Ma and Pa businesses – I like the Franklin barbecues out there. Like, you know, I'll go get like, you know, a Philippe's original, you know, sandwich in LA. Like I'll go to, you know, La Taqueria in San Francisco. Like these are my places. You know, I like the old school places that can just crank the stuff out. I think that's inspirational. And I think it's neat, you know, like here in Austin, we've got like Matt's El Rancho, for example. Um, all the kids hang out there and I don't necessarily want my kid to take over a place. She can do whatever the heck she wants to do. Like whatever, wherever her heart leads her is great. Um, she'll be fine. Um, but I love those places that have the level of service, the level of quality, all the things line up and they make it work. So you may have already answered this question. What, what is it in your eyes that makes Franklin or any other award-winning restaurant distinct from the others? What are those, those specific Well, I don't know if we are I mean, anymore. One, you got to have good food. We understand. Well, that. you got to have great food, of course. Yeah. Um, we use a lot of salt, tremendous amounts of salt. Um, really, you know, and, and this is why I'm kind of like not into like the big like restaurant groups that make a concept. You know, that's why I don't go to those restaurants. You know, like they're not, they're not my inspiration. Um, anybody can throw money at a thing, go get training, go open up this great restaurant, buy these expensive plates, you know, like hire the best people, but you know what money can't buy? It can't buy soul and it can't buy the magic that happens when you just hug somebody or you just make someone a memory. Memories are what make everything work. That's the nostalgia that got me into barbecue. That's the, the thing that keeps families coming back to Franklin barbecue over and over every year. And we see their kids grow up, you know, and that's the stuff that I think makes Franklin barbecue because we started with such a small amount of money, but my God, we had a lot of soul. And we had a lot of, lot of desire and a lot of hard work. Um, and we figured out as we went, but along the way, we have just built so many amazing relationships with so many people, you know, and the people that keep coming through the restaurant. Like, I'll go out there in the mornings with my espresso. Like, there's customers who just walk into the kitchen or pull an espresso shot. There's people that, like, I've had one guy, Gary, 
on my calendar for like four years for his like whatever birthday that he wants me to cook and beef ribs. That's been on the calendar for like four years. No kidding. <laughs> so that's what makes Franklin Barbecue Franklin Barbecue. Uh, but I think that's what makes it special because, you know, you, you can't learn that stuff. That stuff has to come yeah. from the heart. Um, but that's also the same heart and the same mind that makes you learn things and gives you passion and really like that's the magic, you know? Well, you've got your share of accolades for what you've done. I mean, you've got multiple books. When, when is that Michelin star coming down the pipe? Oh, no, not, not for us. I don't, it, you know, or they would never offer it anyway, but we wouldn't accept that anyway. I'd love that. You know, coming from the Bay Area, I've been to my share of Michelin star. And y'all got a ton of them out there. Um, but that's kind of like, you know, that's a real old school kind of. Yeah like restaurant like that's kind of like the fancy culinary school and that is a style of restaurant no doubt that soul can't get you there you yeah. have to have real skill beyond that though i have never went to a michelin star restaurant and left blown away i haven't either maybe, maybe i'm a maybe i'm too much of a dude i like substance to, to what i'm eating in the eight course well one, i like balance piece meal you know i think work. about like a meal like that and not you know i mean there are some truly absurdly incredible restaurants out there um you know but when you have a meal like that just like that dish has to be perfectly composed and you have to have a salt and balance a salt and acid balance you also have to have a heart and soul balance for me you also have to have a food and personality balance like there's a lot more stuff that goes into just restaurants so there are a lot of different restaurants out there a lot of different types of chefs and cooks um and I represent people. People enjoy different things. I, yeah, I and I represent such a small market share of that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say small. That's your humility come through. There, there's a certain sushi restaurant here in Austin that I've. You're probably loved. about to say my favorite restaurant. I, 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 twice I've went there, left with a hole in my pocket, and I'm looking at my wife, and I'm like, mother. We, we go straight to P. Terry's down the road. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Order a couple burgers. I go home, I eat them, and I'm like, now I'm full. I do that at a lot of restaurants. We'll uh, be sitting there eating and be like, uh, yeah, that's going to be P. Terry's kind of night. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that restaurant you speak of, and it is damn good. It, it, it is. It is it, so good. Through the roof. I, you know, I'm just but not they, that but type of guy. I'm, I, again, they I'm also hit a good balance of uh, soul. I mean, they've got yeah. service. They've got energy. There's some incredible people that, that run that place and work there. That restaurant shall remain nameless, by the you way. But we all know nameless. what we're talking about. Um, I'm, I'm not speaking up against it because one slander, lawsuits, Jesus. You've, you've done shows, Masterclass. You are on Masterclass, and, and we spoke yesterday about Masterclass. Yeah, uh, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, the Bushes are on there. I mean, you're sharing the stage with, did they approach you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing about Masterclass, like, and I was real early on. I mean, it was like Thomas Keller, Gordon Ramsay, and me. Yes. Like, we're like, I think kind of, I mean, they were before me for sure. But I was like, I think it was like the third food guy, maybe, maybe fourth. Um, and they're so nice. I mean, the, the Masterclass folks are, yeah, they're, they're obviously very good at what they do. Um, but they don't. I don't think you solicit them. I think they just kind of... They seek you out by reputation. That's what they do. They're just like, who is the absolute best at what they do? Um, and they've got a lot of people you've never heard of, but then once you kind of like watch things, it's like, oh my God. They also have person, a lot of people the they, world's heard of. They do. Yeah. Um, truly incredible. I'm so honored to, to have been a part of that. And it's probably the coolest thing I've ever done. It's, uh, 
it is an amazing platform. They've done a, uh, a great job of that. So you had a no shipping policy at one point. In, in well, then, then we had a thing called the pandemic. <laughs> is that what changed? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, um, I, I remember my days like in Memphis where I still order as you know, gift. We want to send a gift. Rendezvous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Will you guys ever go that, full that's scale? Like, that's like my favorite uh, tile floor. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Will you, will you guys ever go full scale to that degree where you're shipping across the, uh, the nation? Well, we, so we do ship briskets with Gold Belly, mm-hmm. um, you know, but we don't, you know, that's a third party. And those guys are great. And really how we ended up with that, um, you know, we cook about 120 briskets a day, 106, 120, depending on how <laughs> wide they are. Um, but when the pandemic happened, we were down to zero. Um, for a short period of time, and then we were trying to build up the thing. But the thing with the curbside was, is we couldn't get the first couple of days. It was real squirrely because we blocked, I, we cut off I thirty five, and Capital Metro had to move their bus stop because there were too many cars, and because we didn't know the time, we didn't know the cadence of our of our ordering yet. Um, so once we figured it out, we realized we could only really cook about fifty something briskets and get people in and out in a reasonable amount of time because a car is a lot bigger than two people. So you don't have the room for it. And then we have to cut it and we have to run it down and all that stuff. So that left a bit of a gap. Traditionally, we didn't ship out because we could only make so much food and it all went to the lunch service. Um, and then with that, um, you know, when, when, you know, we had more room on the cookers during the pandemic, it was like, okay. And then, so that kind of factored into it. We were physically able to make the food, but also everybody was stuck at home and it kind of, kind of goes back to like, that's, the, the soul of it in some ways. Like, I mean, I know, you know, we were all kind of eating our feelings in the beginning. I mean, I think my wife and I ate like six pounds of shepherd's pie one night by ourselves. Um, the, the, the pandemic was good for no one. It, when, it when, was, when I mean, look at this body. The gyms, look at the gyms me. are closed. You have nothing but time to, to eat. Absolutely. Um, and, and Netflix. Lots of that. Netflix. Um, you know, so at that point it was like, all right, you know, and a, a buddy of mine started like shipping gold belly stuff and we got like a parkway taverns from new Orleans. And I remember sitting there, I'm pretty sure I squeezed out some tears because I was thinking, like, I was like, oh, my God, what if I never get to see New Orleans again? I love New Orleans so much, and I love the food there so much. And it kind of dawned on me, it's like, the food, it's the same thing that got us into this. Like, food is our hearts, you know? Like, there's so many memories with food and what your grandma cooked for you or what your parents made for you or that your your first date with, with like, your wife, what did you eat? I bet you remember your first date. Oh, yeah. You know, food is such a part of it. And it dawned on me, like, with a, you know, eating the Parkway Taverns, yeah, it wasn't as good as it would have been at the restaurant, of course. But I was like, oh, my God. I, all these memories of the 30, 40, 50 times I've been to, you know, the Parkway in New Orleans, um, I was like, we got to get these briskets out there. So we did. It's, food and music are tied to memories. Absolutely. Is, yeah. And those are my two favorite things. Uh, for a guy that doesn't like to look back, all my stuff is based on <laughs> nostalgia and memories. So before we get to our final questions, where do you go from? Well, first off, how was the, how was the visit with Obama? Oh, man, that guy is super cool. Oh, yeah. Duh. Like, who, who wouldn't, who wouldn't a, want to have a bottle a, of whiskey with, with Absolutely. Obama? He was so nice. And the whole staff was so kind, so thoughtful. Man. Did you guys have to shut down? No. No, he, so I had, we were filming the PBS show that day, actually, and we ran off and got sandwiches at the end of lunch. It was like, well, I guess it's not going to come by. We didn't know. I just kind of had a feeling that it was like, today might be the day that, like, this guy comes through. It was like 1.30 or so. 
I sit down for a sandwich. I get a call from the, somebody at the restaurant. I'm like, dude, you got to get back up here. I was like, why? Oh, my God. What's going on? He's like, Obama's here. You got to get up here. Oh, whoa, whoa, you, they didn't give you a heads up. Oh, they can't because they can't compromise security. So they popped in. They shut down I-35, popped in. You know, cars pull up. And, man, the crowds went wild. It was the craziest thing ever. So I end up driving back up there. You know, I can't get in because all the streets are blocked. I end up on the phone with a police sergeant. He's like, what are you driving? I was like, Ford F-350. He's like, all right, where are you at? Like, I'm on 35. I could block the um, Austin Energy Gate at 12. He's like, okay, do it. I'm calling in right now. Coming on foot. Like, all right. So at park, we grab our kid, walking in with an 18-month-old kiddo. Um, you know, they, the neighbors are on their front porches yelling. It's like, yeah, you get him. Like, people are cheering us on as we're walking down the street. It was so weird, man. So you, then, you felt like a baller. You're like, no, I was just trying to get up there escort. to make sure that yeah. we cut him a good piece of meat. You know, I was like, oh, I want to cut this. Like, you know, um, but anyway, so I get up there um, and I open the side door. There's there's a couple, there's two doors to the, to the dining room. Open up the middle one and he was on his way out. Open up the door. And like a security guy, of course, because I just stormed in like I own the place. You know, get off my back, old man. Um, you know, so a security guy like grabbed me by the shoulders, pulled me back because he knew that Obama was walking through the, on the other side. And then, you know, Barack Obama's on there. So like, he's like, oh, my God, you're here. <laughs> um, and then he's, we stood there about 45 minutes and, and talked and stuff. And he was so nice. He like grabbed the kiddo, photo op, all that stuff. Um, really cool. Dude, what, what do you say about the food? He's like, hey. Well, they took it to Air Force One and ate it on the plane. Okay. Even better environment. Did he send you a note? Hey, legit. Oh, man. They followed up like crazy. The, uh, the White House photographer um, sent us all the files of all the pictures. Um, and a, a really awesome uh, fellow, Ralph, he's a photographer for Awesome American Statesman. He was also there, and he made um, some books for us um, with all the pictures and stuff. So, yeah, it was really cool. That, that dude was super cool. I what? mean, way over my head. But, man, I would love to have a beer with him one day. Oh, dude, yeah. Absolutely. Him and uh, Bill Murray. Um, what's next? for? Aaron well, I've got band practice here in about 30 minutes. Okay. So we're going to get you out of here. Um, but, you know, I know you've got Laura, which, by the way, well done, dude. Thanks. I, you know the problem is? Your places are so packed, and my wife are pretty impatient about our food. It's, it's hard to go to your restaurant sometimes. I don't know. I'm, I mean, sorry. can I get a sorry? But at the end of the can day, you... it's, it's pretty simple. I got to do a show up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> little patience. But, I mean, beyond that, what, what, what's your next passion project? Well, so we're working on a restaurant here in Austin called Uptown Sports Club. It's on East 6th. It's in an old 1800s building. We're in construction currently. Should open about Christmas. And back to my love for New Orleans, it's a kind of an all-day New Orleans kind of spot. So it's a gumbo po'boy joint. Lots of Franklin crossover. It's like a Texas version of Po' Boys. Um, but it'll turn into like a brasserie menu at night. You know, espressos in the morning, breakfast stuff. We open at 7 a.m. We'll close at 2 a.m. So that'll be cool. I'm super excited about that. Um, I have a festival called Hot Luck Fest. Yes. Um, that happens on Memorial Day weekend, May 26th or 29th this year, 22. Um, so that's pretty cool. I work real hard on that. Um, and then we've got the Franklin Barbecue Pits. Uh, which we sell. Yes. We're, we're starting to make a lot of those. Our numbers are really getting up there. We're getting through that wait list. We've got 70, almost 70,000 people on a wait list. And we're you actually got getting... You've kidding me. Oh, well, the conversion rate is not, not that great, believe it or not. Um, but we're cranking pits out. So I think here in a couple of years... Being manufactured out of where? 
So we make, so we started off in Austin and it turns out Austin's not uh, geographically conducive to making big weldy things um, of super high quality. Um, just cause you know, they don't make steel here. Like this is not where, you know, so we kind of went up towards the Midwest um, and we've got two manufacturing places, one in Tulsa, one in Lexington, North Carolina, um, that are just absolutely crushing it. And we've got the rollers and we laser cut everything and our team's amazing. And we just travel back and forth between all these places. We've got a pits team here in town at our shop. We still have our shop, but we do the custom stuff at the shop um, here in town. But the main bulk of the production stuff comes from those places. Dude, congratulations. Um, Thanks. Um, You know, and the cool thing about those pits is every time I fire one up, I think to myself, self, is this the best cooker I've ever cooked on? I don't know how this happened. They're just amazing. The the convection and the way these things radiate heat and the way they pull and they draft, oh, my God, never cooked on anything else like it. Well, now I'm going to have to order one. And maybe you'll move me to the front of the line with... Sure. <laughs> sure. All right. Final questions, Ben. Um, and I can't thank you enough for doing this. We'll get oh, you heck yeah. Practice. Thanks for having me. How will Aaron Franklin look back and measure his life and know whether he's lived it well, man? No regrets. <laughs> no, but really, um, and my wife snickers uh, when I say this. She's like, God, you're so full of it. And I'm, I mean this so honestly. I'm, I'm absolutely not... My whole life, I've always set my goals with the idea that when I look back one day, I won't regret anything. And like, I always, like everything I've ever done, like how I've, you know, been at the restaurant or, or, or anything really, you know, um, has always been like, is this something I'm going to feel bad about one day? If the answer is no, then it's a go. So really, I think, I don't know how I'm going to be remembered, like legacy stuff, whatever, who cares? Um, but I think when I'm old and I look back, I want to be really proud of everything. And the things I'm proud of is Franklin Barbecue and my family. Those are pretty much the only two things. We had uh, Sammy Hagar I mean, on. there's some other cool stuff, too, I guess. And, we had Sammy Hagar on. We asked him the same question. He said, uh, he said, I make decisions, and I ask myself, am I screwing somebody on this? Yeah. I thought that was pretty No, it's good. true. Just be a good, honest person and do your best. And, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, but there, there's a difference between having good intent and then it's business, man. Some things just... And some things, you know, obviously some things aren't going to work but out. Forthright about but if, but yeah. if you feel good about, like, you know, your ethics and, and just kind of what kind of person you are, I, th- I think that's kind of the yeah. most important thing. I, I, I love that. Last question. What, what, are, what are those one to three tenets, those, those keys to success you've lived your life by that have served you well? <clears throat> and led to a high degree to success because of the discipline, because of the commitment, because of the focus that you have? Um, you know, I think reliability is a big one. Um, you know, if you say you're going to do something, you better do it. And you better do it well. Right. Texas all hat, no cattle. Yeah, Make sure you totally. Bag it up. Like, yeah. no half-assing. Like, don't just do something because it's good enough. You know what good enough is? It's not good enough. You better do it better. Um and, you know, I think just, like, having good intentions, really, that's about it. Those are pretty damn good rules, man. Well, Aaron, um, you, you've got a loyal fan on the barbecue side, man. You, you crush sure. it. Your story is absolutely... Well, it's a little Forrest Gumpy, but I'll take it. It's, it's, it's inspiring, <laughs> man. It, I'll, I'll tell you what. The beauty of this podcast and talking with, with people from all different domains that have absolutely... It's not easy. They've all put the work and the time in. They've all accepted great risk. 
it's, it's, it, it is. I, I'm sharpening my own axe by yeah. talking to people well, like you. You know, that's it, it's cool. Like all the people that you interview for this, because there's so many. The old term, like there's a lot of ways to get a cat. You know, there's so many ways to get there, to get wherever you want to be. But the the thing is, is you need to know where you want to be a little bit. You never really know until you get there. And it's like, and it's it changes all the time anyway. But you know, like you could go to school. There's so many different routes um, to get there. But as long as you're proud of what you do, you're happy about it it's good and you're doing a good job of it, man, go for it. You know, I think that's, you know, you have to take a little bit of risk to get anywhere. And you have to define what success looks like for you. Nobody else can do that. Yeah. It is different for everybody. Absolutely. Aaron, thank you, brother. Man, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the men's journal, everyday warrior podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and pick up a new issue of men's journal magazine. Men's journal magazine has features on health and fitness, adventure and travel, style, and my favorite, the coolest gear hitting the market today. Until next time, I'm Mike Sorelli, and thanks for listening.